Welcome to Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalists John Schaust and Brian Cunningham. Hi everyone, I'm John Schaust. And I am Brian Cunningham. And welcome to episode number 48 of our Nature Centered podcast. And in respect to the upcoming State of the Union address here in the U.S., we're going to take a look at the State of the Union in regards to our winter birds. Where are they now, and how are they surviving winter? Hey, you got birds? You ain't got birds? Well, don't panic. Today we're going to talk about what affects bird movement, and how does all of this play out in your own yard? And if you stick around till the end of the show, we're going to talk about public enemy number one, the squirrels, and how they actually really do help birds in a number of different really cool ways. So stick around for the fun. Okay, Brian, here we go. Number 48, talking about the state of the union of our winter birds and what's happening with them. And looking at uh, kind of a different way of looking at squirrels later on. But as always, what's happening in your yard? Yeah, what is happening in our yards? I've had about uh, six regular bluebirds, males and females, uh, until we had this nice winter weather event. I now have eight male bluebirds coming regularly. Nice, nice. And about four or five female bluebirds. You know, the way they all bounce around, I'm still trying to get an accurate count. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, in and amongst all the other birds with juncos, and I've got all the woodland birds like the chickadees and titmice and nuthatches. I still have my two brown creepers. I got all the different kind of woodpeckers coming in. And a couple of new birds, robins. In fact, it's more like a robin, one, one American <laughs> robin, sits in one of my tray feeders, um, shows up in the afternoon, sits there. Eats for a while, sits there, looks around, like, nope, nope, you guys leave. This is my spot. <laughs> it's been very interesting. Uh, so what's what's it eating? It is actually eating sunflower chips. Yeah, that's what I figured. And bark butter bits. Okay, yeah, uh, makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Loving cool. it. Yeah. And then I get starlings that are coming and going. Depends on, you know, they <laughs> as, a, as a flock, they can be... A really interesting, it's almost like an entity that sometimes they'll get spooked and whoop, there they go. And other times they come back uh, hesitantly or just in a big gang and just poof, we're hungry, yeah. we're going to eat, and then we're going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, those have been the, ver- the bird fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, very cool. I, I, uh, I Just real quick, I had a kind of a fun little experience, uh, two different things, but I'll just start off with the one. I had to take my father-in-law to the airport here in Indianapolis very early mm-hmm. one day last week. It was still dark. It was like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning when we dropped him off. And there's been a snowy owl. You know, you talk about some yes. of the new birds that are showing up and this seems to be, and we're talking about the state of the union of our winter birds. And, uh, you know, there's been snowy owls showing up here in Indiana and in central Indiana, even some in Southern Indiana. And there's been one reported out at the airport that I hadn't had a chance to go out and see. So while we were out there, as we were driving out, <laughs> of the from the terminal and back and it was still dark my wife who is this expert set of eyes can spot birds anywhere sees the snowy owl up on top of a light pole and just as she spots it and points it out it takes off and swoops down right in front of our car and across and above above but right in front of us you just unmistakable you know and it's dark but there's enough light from all the street lights Mm -hmm. and stuff no question you know silhouette and the coloration 
that here was the snowy owl putting on a show for us at like six o'clock in the morning. It was so that is cool. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it was neat. And you said there was a second thing, right? Yeah, it just it's you know we're we're sitting here. It's seventeen degrees this morning. There's a, still of a you know partial snowpack on the ground, and yet the sun's out. The days are getting longer, and and I was out earlier this morning. And as I mentioned before, you know, the titmice are just singing away, you know, just Peter, 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 you know, setting up territory and, and trying to attract mates and, and that type of thing. And the woodpeckers drumming, starting to hear a lot of drumming on the hollow trees where the woodpeckers are setting up their territory. And and absolute sign of spring or, or sound of spring, better stated, is red-winged blackbirds. I've had red-winged <laughs> blackbirds. Uh, you know, I live on a Come lake and I, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I live on a lake for our listeners, and and we have uh, uh, you know a lot of good habitat for red-winged blackbirds around the lake, and and uh, they're here, and they're singing, and they're setting up territory, and it's like, wait a minute, it's 17 degrees, and there's snow on the ground. Are you crazy? But it's <laughs> happening. There's no denying the day length, and the day length triggers these types of uh, behaviors, and uh, bingo, we're starting to believe it or not, head to spring. Yeah, very cool. I'm loving hearing all that stuff. I'm going to have to go out and start listening for some of those other birds because I haven't heard any of the blackbirds yet. Yeah. Uh, at least not red-winged blackbirds. I've heard some starlings. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about winter birds, the State of the Union. You kind of playing a little tongue-in-cheek because, you know, the yeah. State of the Union address is coming up here soon. And thought, we thought, oh, well, it's the State of the Union of our birds this winter. How are they, how are they faring this winter? Uh, where are they at? We we get our we got our finch eruption every year, and, and sometimes it's a incredible eruption of birds coming out of the boreal forest and visiting us in the winter time. Other years, not so much. So, how's that panned out this year? What are we feeling, uh, you know, in regards to that? Uh, so, just bottom line, just you know, what what are we, you know, what are we? I think you and I both have taken a look at eBird and kind of looked it around and and just. Uh, amazed sometimes at some of the things that we're able to find on eBird and, and get a good feel for what's going on. Oh, yes. eBird's a, a fantastic resource to look at and, and to find where are birds being seen this month. Um, and utilizing that, um, I also reached out to a number of our different Wild Birds Unlimited stores across the system, U.S. and Canada, just to get a litmus test, uh, a little toe in the water, if you will, of what's happening in their mm -hmm. areas. Um, so being able to look at where are the birds right now is always very interesting. And you and I have been getting some questions almost exactly that. Where are my birds? Yeah. Yeah. And if I could just, you know, that you talk about a valuable resource. I mean, we have 350 stores across the U.S. and, and mm -hmm. Canada. And I've said for years, you know, you know, people sometimes like John and Brian, how do you guys know all this stuff? Or, you know, where, where are you getting that information from? Oh, we're just that good, John, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're, Thank you. we're in tune with Thank the you, birds. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the fact that we have 350 stores, you know, what, 46 states in the U.S. have Wild Birds Unlimited stores. And I think all the provinces except one in Canada have WBU stores. At least so the southern we, provinces, yes. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, true. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but the but the bottom line is, you know, we have and here we have resources with all these owners and their and their staff, and we hear from them on a regular basis about mm -hmm. things that are going on. So I think we're, you know, one of the things we're in a very very unique position because of our 
quote-unquote data set that we can collect from these 350 stores. It's pretty dang cool. That's right. It basically, you're just saying we utilize our resources. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> but where, yeah, where are the birds? So um, I think just if you even started as a highlight, there are a lot of birds around right now, especially visiting people's yards and visiting feeders. Um, and, and for the most part, there, there seem to be a, a lot of bluebird activity in people's yards. If you generally have bluebirds, you probably have a lot of bluebird activity going on right now. It's, um, <laughs> Don't tell Amy. <laughs> that's right. One coworker who has been trying so hard for years to get bluebirds to regularly come to her yard. We're doing everything we can except... I guess the next step is to just plant bluebirds in her her yard. Juncos. Now, that's been an interesting one. Because normally, in wintertime, also known as the snowbird, um, or you have Oregon juncos, which are year-round in a lot of places in the Pacific Northwest and and in the West. But juncos have actually been either really strong or really, really light in areas. So that Mm. one's been a little different. Um, you know, a ground feeding bird, they love feeding on millet. They love hitting those um, ground feeding trays or near bushes and things. And that one's kind of been a hit or miss uh, along with some of the different sparrows. Yeah. Do you have much sparrow activity in your yard? You know, I, I've heard a number of people talking about, you know, the lack of, I had a friend of mine call me last week. He's really concerned because he doesn't have the sparrow activity he normally has. You know, I have a few white throat uh, mm-hmm. sparrows, which I typically have more of this time of year. And I have a basket full of song sparrows. I have more song sparrows than I probably have ever had uh, in my feeders. There's there's quite a few here. You must have my song sparrows then. <laughs> <laughs> but like the American tree sparrows, I don't have those. And, and, and they're not a huge number for me most years, but I have yeah. not seen an American tree sparrow this whole winter. Uh, and oh. I've heard other, yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's kind of weird. So yeah, it's an interesting little, little thing. And I've heard other people talking about the fact that, like I said, that the, their sparrow numbers are not what they're used to seeing. Yeah. The um, interesting, you bring up like white-throated sparrows. And then I always equate a counterpart to them, the white-crowned sparrows. Right. And even out West, and then white crown, and then you have the golden crown sparrow. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing from different places. Some places are like, I haven't seen any. They're just not here. White crowns, white throats, golden crowns. Like, where are they? Um, but some other places are like, oh, yeah, we're like, we're inundated with golden yeah. crown and white crown sparrows. I, I, so very I, intermittent this year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's possibly, you know, when things like this happen and we do, you gosh, you and I hear this all the time about a lot of different species of birds. Every It seems like there's always one or two species every year mm-hmm. that people are going, where are they? I don't, you know, I don't see the hummingbirds I'd normally see and that type of thing. Right. Usually it's food. Usually it has something to do with the mm-hmm. food resources. And, and I know here in the Midwest, in our area, we just had a bumper growing year last year. We had tremendous rain uh, and, and good weather. And so for a lot of our weed seed plants, the plants mm-hmm. that would provide, you know, the food for sparrows, the, uh, you know, things that produce a tiny like foxtail and some of the other tiny seed producing uh, plants, there's a bumper crop, and so it's a possibility that this year they just don't really need our feeders as much as they have in the past years because there's a lot of natural foods. You always right. you always have to kind of weigh that, you know, look at it. So yeah, backyard bird feeding is a supplement for the birds, mm-hmm. and like you said, those wild foods 
that's what they're going to prefer to go to first and still going to be the mainstay. But then you you have a good growing season, especially Mm -hmm. like we did in the Midwest and a lot of the East. But unfortunately out West, Oh man, we had so many fires and such crazy weather and where sometimes is drought, but then other times like right now they have great snowpack. Um, It's, it's so it's, it's just kind of this weird mixed bag, which will affect the growing seasons. And I wonder if that's partly also what's affecting why some of those sparrows and ground feeding birds are so intermittent out west. Because you get a super dry area, you just didn't have the natural foods. And so those birds may bypass that area yeah, yeah. during their, their migration time. Say, I got no food here. I'm going to another restaurant. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's another, uh, just to back up about the natural food supply. Again, I'm not seeing them in my feeders. But and you've probably seen this too. Uh, but mm-hmm. when I go someplace to go birding, whether it's a state park that's not far from my house or over at the big city park, Eagle Creek, that we've got and, and bird over there, guess what? I'm seeing tree sparrows and I'm seeing white throated sparrows. And nice. you know, I'm, I'm seeing the things that there that I'm not seeing here. And I'm just assuming it's because, again, there's a pretty abundant food supply in those parks and they're just hanging out there. They don't need to come to my yard to pick up the supplemental food. You know, that, that brings up a thought for me that, okay, what do I do about my backyard? If, I, if I'm trying to feed the birds, and right now maybe I have tons of birds feeding, and they're coming in, they're gobbling up all the food, but what if I don't? What if I don't have a lot of birds? It, it, sometimes you, you get the question of, am I doing something wrong? And that's where I would say, you're probably not doing anything wrong. But there are some things you can, can do mm-hmm. to make sure that you're still inviting the birds when they're hungry or when they want to come in and get that supplemental food, just keeping the food fresh. And Mm -hmm. you know, one of those tips that all our stores tell everyone, if the birds aren't coming right now, only fill up your feeders a little bit until the birds start coming back and keep that food fresh until the Mm -hmm. birds start coming back. Then you can fill your feeders back up and you're saving on all that food. Yeah, and I think the you know just using the American goldfinch is a, a good example because it's oh, one that yeah. we get you know it's probably in the top two or three that we get constant questions. Where are all my goldfinches? I haven't seen my goldfinches this year. And you could do a whole case study on goldfinches. First of all, they're kind of nomadic; they move around a lot to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are some studies out there that they move around as much as four miles a day to go to different food sources. They'll move around from point A to point B at the beginning of the winter to the end of the winter, move thirty or forty miles. Uh, yeah. just moving around in search of food. So they're, they're kind of nomadic to begin with. So they're, therefore, you're going to get fluctuations from that at your feeders. And I think, you know, this is one area that some of the things that we've done are really actually making an impact. Uh, first of all, natural foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the number of parks and nature preserves and natural uh, plantings around even things like, you know, commercial buildings and people doing a lot of habitat at home, there's just so, I believe, I personally believe there's just so much more natural food out there today for goldfinches than there were, say, 20 or 30 years ago. Just because, I mean, you think of the number of nature preserves. Indiana, first nature preserve was in 1969. We now have 370-some-odd nature preserves in the state of Indiana. So, I mean, huge amount of land that's been set aside and is being managed 
to make sure that it's, uh, you know, being productive and natural and, and, you know, keeping the non-natives and the invasive exotic species out. So that's one good thing. And then Brian, you know, feeding, I mean, feeding's made a huge difference. Oh, for sure. And, you know, back when you and I started with backyard bird feeding a few decades ago, uh, there weren't as many people feeding finches, feeding the goldfinches or, or feeding the pine siskins. But now we've had so many more people because that's an easy, uh, it's an easy bird feeder to put out, generally easy to take care of and, and, and track those birds because they're really pretty. And so it's fun. So we've had a lot more people starting to feed finches. But then even in the last couple years, so many more people started feeding the birds because they're at home. Mm-hmm. And so now, I mean, think about we have food galore. Yeah. So maybe your neighbors, okay, a little yeah, good neighborly exactly relation. Right. Maybe exactly your neighbors right. are stealing your birds. Yeah. Maybe you need to steal them back. <laughs> but <laughs> paying attention to those things. It's there's food everywhere. You know. And I think about you talked about the goldfinches. Mm-hmm. Pine siskins. Yeah. Yeah. Every year, winter time's a great year to 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 try to attract pine siskins. And they are one of those birds that erupt out of the northern boreal forests. Um every other year or so and so that eruption is you just they move from one area to another searching for food because there's not enough food at home so we're hitting the road right (laughs) yeah and they're kind of a late one too sometimes on their 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 eruption and and typically i won't say typically but quite often february becomes a big month for movement of pine siskins because basically they've run out of food up in the boreal forest and it's time to head south and find better better pasture right Uh, but i you know so far uh, pine siskins are a no-show here in central Indiana that I've seen. Yeah, in fact, uh, they're pretty much a no-show throughout the eastern part of uh, North America. I was going to say just the U.S., but it's, it's not just U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does seem where they are is they are further up in the boreal forests in different mm-hmm. areas. But we do have an eruption of siskin into the northwest and some of the western states. Yeah. Um, and, and I've heard from some of our Western stores are like, wow, they're eating us out of house and home. We have so many siskins in, in customer's yards. Um, but once again, it's hit or miss where you're going to have a lot or none. Yeah. It seems like, um, so, well, you know, another cool thing that's happened locally is that, yeah, the siskins are a no show, mm-hmm. but the red poles, yeah, we had ah, yes. we had one lonely little red pole out at Eagle Creek Park, which is a big, huge five thousand acre city park here in Indianapolis on the west side, and this sucker found the only alder trees apparently in the entire right. park, and a single bird's been hanging out there for like a month now, and, and, and now you know, it has friends. Yeah, now it's got a whole what fifty <laughs> plus birds. Found another oh. found another patch of alders that had been planted as landscaping near the Colts. Practice facility, Indianapolis Colts practice facility. <laughs> I don't know what who was burning the Colts practice facility, but bottom line is they came across and found about 50-plus red poles. So what's that all about? Yeah, you know, we've always talked about how birds are slaves to habitat. You know, they are food specialists, and your food always, you know, in, the, in the nature world, always go back to the plantings within a habitat. And... Like you're talking, the alders, they love, those red poles love alders. Every, all the different bird species like particular kinds of foods. And there you go. They're, <laughs> they're chasing after their favorites. They, they weren't on my list of, of plants to 
include in my yard sometime in the future. But you know what? <laughs> it's going to happen sooner than later, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm going to go find me a source of some alders and have them put into my backyard. Because how cool is that to have that many uh, red poles knocking around in my trees? That would be neat. I've also heard there have been it's been a really good year for warblers to be in people's yards and mm. hitting bird feeders, for that matter. Um, across North America, the yellow-rumped warblers, um, those that are brave enough to stay a little further north, but also those that are up south, they're all over people's bird feeders. Are, are, um, what, are they, what are they hitting, Brian? Suets and bark butters. Bark butter, yeah. And um, yellow-rumped warblers are also known to be attracted pretty readily to sunflower chips as well as sources of water mm. uh, to drink from. Um, Townsend's warblers out west yeah. and then pine warblers in the east they're also hitting feeders so it's been a really good year uh, where, where those birds can be found in wintertime a lot of them are hitting the feeders you know that, that really brings to mind and I think maybe we I mean we've talked about bark butter over and over again and again you, mm-hmm. and, I just, you and I are just geeked out about this product <laughs> just I, a it's, little it's, bit it's just an incredible product and I and I, I changed my game up with it this year, and it's been a mm-hmm. real revelation. And, and I'm really excited to see what happens as we get into spring migration with the warblers coming through. Uh, because what I've done is I've actually have one tree that I put the bark butter on in the same location. I used to spread it around. I put it on a tree. I'd put it on a feeder. I'd put it, you know, here and there. Oh, and so you've, I, you've you've put it in different places. Yeah, it was very almost random. Almost randomly with, around your yeah, yard. I mean, too. you know, I would put it on the same tree you know, quite often, but I wasn't, I wasn't systematic about it. I didn't do it every single day and make sure that that bark butter was available every single day in the same exact location. That's what I've done this winter. It has made, and I kind of, it's made a huge difference. And I kind of call it, you know, we talk about having a foundational feeder, that one, like a hopper feeder that you maintain the seed in, you know, 365 days a year because the Mm -hmm. birds get used to it and they depend on it and they know it's always there. I'm doing that now exactly with the bark butter. It's become my bark butter foundational feeder. And the birds are like, I go out to put the bark butter on and the woodpeckers are just in the trees waiting. They come flying over the, <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it, they awesome. know exactly what's going on. So I can't wait to see, see as we get closer to the spring, what happens with the warblers in this bark butter feeder. That's fantastic. I mean, for as long as you've been feeding the birds and as far, as long as you have been offering bark butter, Mm -hmm. Uh, to Mm -hmm. see man if i just put it in one place every day make sure it's always available in that one spot and how the birds are responding to that that's fantastic yeah Yeah. i mean that's just fun to to watch fun to have those expectations um i can't wait to hear what happens (laughs) in the springtime because for me i've been doing the same spot yeah um and for me in springtime that's when i do get different warblers coming in um and then some of my, I think it's probably my favorite bird family group. Everyone, asks, what's your favorite bird? It's too hard. Thrushes. Um, I'm too many thrushes. But thrushes are my favorite yep, bird yep, family group. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and they don't normally cling on the side of a tree. They're more of a ground feeding, low bush, elevated kind of feeder. They love bark butter. It's yep. great. So yep. I can't wait to hear who shows up and and how they're interacting with the foods. That is, that's going to be so much fun. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm geeked out. And, you know, it's funny about it because 
obviously we're not your typical feeder <laughs> backyard bird feeder we're, right. we're not right. we understand that we're not we're not blind to that fact but you know that to me is the fun part of this hobby not only do i get a chance to see way cool birds mm-hmm. but i can try different things and play around with it with different foods and different feeders and change the game in my backyard after 40 years i mean there's yeah. always something that you can do to change up the game a little bit to hopefully attract birds in a different way or different birds. And so that that's, it just keeps it exciting. It keeps it something that's, and plus <laughs> you're trying to outsmart certain birds and, you know, think like a bird. And it's just, I don't know. I know I'm a geek. I, I, uh, yep. I admit that not everybody's going to do that or feel that way, but it's just kind of fun. It's, it's. I don't know. I think everyone will feel that you're kind of a bird feeding geek. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the time. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know what? It's bird feeding. It's it's all about the fun and what you can do and what you can experience. And there's always something new you can do. One other bird species that uh, are not, but family group, hummingbirds this winter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. State of the union on the hummingbirds. Yeah, really. Wow. Uh, we have some places where hummingbirds hang out year round, but then we have those vagrants. Mm-hmm. Those hummingbird vagrants that you're like, you really aren't normally here. I mean, we've had ruby-throated hummingbirds in the east staying very far north this year. I've had some in Indiana. Rufus hummingbirds are pretty well known yeah. for yeah. being this <laughs> unexpected vagrant somewhere, and you're going to find them. We had one in Indiana, some in the Midwest or yep. in the east. But also, I heard Costa's hummingbird in Oregon stayed from December and January and was very kind to stay near a retirement uh, village. Oh, yeah. And so lots yeah. of people got to enjoy watching this Costa's Hummingbird for yeah. a while, a number of weeks. And I think it decided it is getting a little cool and uh, <laughs> fewer fewer food sources, so it, it it hit the road. But to see, we have a number of different hummingbird vagrants that have been hanging around. So it's always fun just to, how long can you keep that hummingbird feeder fresh out there to see if someone's going to show up? Yeah, and Brian, that's the it's, it's, again just goes back to what I was just talking about a few seconds ago in the sense of always keeping your, you know, backyard bird feed, and there's always things you can try or do different. And mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that we're seeing on the uh, west coast in, in uh, Seattle, North, you know, Vancouver, those areas is the Anna's hummingbird is overwintering yes. there, and and you know, for people to adapt, uh, and again. It's kind of a challenge to keep your hummingbird feeder out through the winter. You, got, you know what happens if it freezes, and right. And, and so somebody out there made a really cool little uh, heater uh, that can clip on the bottom of our our hummingbird feeders, our WBU mm-hmm. uh, you know, high perch hummingbird feeders, and it keeps the nectar from freezing overnight. And some of our stores have brought those in, and it's amazing how many people have bought those hummingbird heaters to keep their feeders out year round for those Anna's hummingbirds. It's pretty cool. All right, Brian, we've talked about uh, actually some of the fun things and some of the cool things that are going on with our winter birds and kind of the state of the union of most of our birds. And as I sit here, oh, Blue Jay just came in into my feeders. Wow, I haven't seen one of those for a couple of days. Very cool. Nice. Came in two bark butter bits. There you go. Woo-hoo. But uh, another bird that just showed up in my feeders is that wonderful starling. So sometimes maybe wintertime is a great time of the year to feed birds and you have a lot of fun, but other times eh, the starlings can cause problems this time of year. 
Yeah, I I totally understand <laughs> that. <laughs> here they, it's like here comes the gang, as someone says, like the little motorcycle gang that comes in, eats up everything, yeah. and then leaves. It um, is the gang. You, you know, you think about in wintertime, and especially come around February. And if you if the ground freezes in your area, or if you get a an ice event or a snow event, well, where do starlings normally eat? They like to forage on the ground because that's where all sorts of insects and larvae would would be worms and such. Well, if you can't access the ground <laughs> to get to the food, you're gonna go somewhere else. And too often, it's someone's backyard feeding system. Yeah, right? yeah. It's one of the cool things if you if you've never paid attention to how a starling feeds and you see them down the ground, watch them gape their their bill. You know they they open it up because they're using it to spread apart leaves and you know the grass and get down to grubs and insects that are on the ground and stuff. It's just a really cool thing to to watch them do that. But you're right, Brian. When when the ground has a layer of snow on top of it, it's kind of hard to get down on the ground. So. You know, it's interesting because I was I was I was at a hardware store. I was picking up some stuff, and it's about probably three miles from my house as a starling flies. And I was there, <laughs> yeah, I was there late in the evening. You know, it was last last that last bit of uh, twilight. The power lines all around this intersection where the the hardware store. I don't know how many thousands of starlings. Every line was just lined up with hundreds and hundreds. And the trees that were in the area were just full of starlings. And I tell you what, I'm sure some of those are the very same birds that are showing up at my feeders in my backyard. (laughs) No doubt about it. They very well could be. And one of the really cool things to watch for, you know, you reminded me, when you see a whole bunch of starlings on a line, if you watch for that one bird that's flying by itself and comes in to land, it'll <laughs> land in between two other starlings. And then it's amazing what happens next is the this do- wave effect. It's, yeah, the domino effect. <laughs> <laughs> where they all kind of, all the heads pop up and then settle back down in a wave, just like you were in a stadium and everyone's doing the wave. It's so cool to watch. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not cool to have them in your backyard. So we do, we do, we do. Well, I think, you know, to a, I don't mind a few, but boy, when they get that, that huge number starts showing up this time of year, it's, it oh, to be a little trouble. Oh, and they eat everything in they one, eat you out one of house swap. And, yeah. and they're not the most clean bird in the world. You know, they, they leave a lot of residue behind, to be quite honest. And uh, so we do have different types of feeders that are weight sensitive that you can dial down to, to, to keep the starlings out. If you're like, I'm looking out right now on my Telprop suet feeder and there's a starling just chowing down and there are, uh, you know, a couple ways with suet. Uh, there are upside down feeders that actually has the cage opening to the very bottom of the suet feeder. And that keeps the starlings I'm not saying they can't do it because they can, but they don't like it and they can't hang on for a long time. So it discourages them from doing that. And then especially if you just use straight suet, you get rid of all the peanuts and other ingredients that we put into a lot of the, uh, the specialty suets. Just they don't seem to like the straight suet nearly as much as as the all the ones that have all the other ingredients in it. Also, a really neat thing that we've learned is just sunflower chips. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where the key to that one though is to put it in more of a tray style feeder or maybe even a tube style feeder, uh, because when they come in, they'll nibble at it. Maybe they eat some, but they're like, it's not really what I want. So they maybe. Have a, a few bites and take off. 
Yeah. But it leaves the food for all the other birds. I wish I could tell you exactly why and what the nutrition <laughs> scenario to that is. I have no clue. I just know I've been testing this for years and it works. Okay. Well, there goes that expert status. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Dirty little secrets. <laughs> no, it's actually something that, you, that we've noticed in the last couple, three, four years that they just kind of realized that they don't mess with sunflower chips in, in yeah. a, like a, a tray feeder. And it's weird. Uh, don't I agree, Brian? We don't really understand exactly why they don't do it, but it's a great way to feed your small birds, your you know your chickadees, nuthatches, titmice, house finches, et cetera, et cetera, and, uh, you know goldfinches, without having the starlings eat everything in sight and leave nothing for them. Well, John, you promised us that you were going to talk about how do squirrels help the birds. And I got to tell you, you piqued my interest with that one. So <laughs> do tell. I know. Interesting little thing. I did actually come across an article recently that was talking about that. It was a really kind of a different concept. I never really thought about, you know, squirrels. You know, they're kind of like public enemy number one. You've got them at your feeders. You're always <laughs> fighting left and right to keep them out of your feeders. And, you know, that's kind of your association with bird feeding and birds and, and your squirrels. But you know, the reality is there are actually a number of things that they do that help birds in a number of different really cool ways. We all know the squirrels cache tree nuts and, and seeds, you know, like let's just say acorns. They love acorns. They, you know, take them for their winter food supply and they bury them all over the different, you know, areas in the forest floor. They get back to a lot of them, but they don't get back to all of them. Well, that little acorn just got planted perfectly and has turned into at some point a beautiful oak tree. In the long run, that oak tree, you know, looking at some of the research that's been done, that oak tree produces a tremendous amount of food in regards to all the insects that love to feed on oak leaves. Uh, that Those insects are huge food source for our, our songbirds. So in a weird way, they're planting, you know, trees that will benefit our songbirds down the line. Okay, okay. I think I can buy into that. You got more, don't you? <laughs> well, you know, it's just simple things like, you know, we put baffles on our on our feeders. If we want to keep the squirrels out of our food, one of the ways we do it is put baffles on it. Well, that not only keeps the squirrels out, but it also helps with some of our other problem critters like raccoons and and uh, other things. So, you know, it kind of helps to, to keep the songbirds coming and going and, and not have those issues. Uh, but they also, you know, as you think about squirrels, and this is this is not the food chain is not a pretty sight sometimes. But squirrels provide <laughs> provide a lot of a lot of food for our birds of prey. You know, our owls and our hawks, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then you know, so they definitely benefit those birds. And you know, you think about it. I, I you know hate to, but you know, squirrels get hit by cars, and you, you unfortunately see that all too often. Well, you know, that becomes food for our scavenging birds, our crows and vultures especially. So they're in a weird way. I'm sure they don't they don't think of it as helping the birds, but in a weird way, they're helping the birds. Um, you know, squirrels are kind of sentinels of the forest. I don't know about you. I'm sure, you know, I, I know you and I have done a lot of hikes together and you're walking out in the woods and you hear the squirrels chattering and ticked off. You know, it's like you're invading their space and they're not happy you're there. And, uh, well, they do that with all kinds of, not just us, but all kinds of different things like, you know, snakes and cats and, and other predators. And so it becomes an alarm system for the birds also to, uh, to uh, you know, be alert and, and watch out. So 
they're giving a kind of an early warning system for the birds. And then another cool thing, if you think about it, birds build a big leaf nest uh, in the summertime and, and mm-hmm. uh, typically, you know, have young. And uh, that nesting material and those nests uh, quite often are taken over by many of our birds of prey too. The red-tailed hawks quite often will use an old squirrel's nest and and some of our owls will use the old squirrel's nest. And and the uh, some of the birds will actually go up there and find insects. You know, some of our songbirds, after the nest is abandoned by the squirrels, they're flying insects that are living inside those those uh, leaf nests and that type of thing. So it was a kind of an interesting thing to me to take this whole different perspective on how squirrels actually do a lot to help birds. And, and if you think about it in nature, everything really does touch everything else and, and everything else has a connection to, to everything. And, and so it really, you know, it's kind of neat to look at squirrels and saying, ah, they actually are helping our birds. There you go. The whole integrated food web is uh, think about it from a different perspective. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. That's, that's, that is fascinating. And I can track with you on every single one of those and some fun yeah. things to think about. Okay, Brian. Well, well, I think we've done the uh, the State of the Union for our birds for this winter. And as every president that's ever done a State of the Union has said, the state of our union is strong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that it's strong, even if you don't have some of those birds in your backyard. But we know they're around and you can still attract them and still have fun with them. So I love that everyone joined us today. Please rate and review us. We definitely want to see what kind of feedback you have for us. Absolutely. And next time, please join us as we share our fun topic in regards to nesting, a bird's eye view. But as always, until then, Brian and I are going to let nature be our guide. And so until our next visit, please take care and be safe. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nature Centered. To subscribe to this podcast, for show notes, or to connect with the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com podcast. Until we meet again, take some time to relax, enjoy the birds, get out in your backyard, and stay nature-centered. <laughs>